I love having the kids in our service. It adds a level of excitement. I also understand that based on last night, people were going, when the kids are in here, there's noise. That's okay. It's family time. And so we just love having everybody together for family time. If you look at the words that we have up here on the platform, it says truth. For those of you who are part of our congregation, you recognize that for the last several weeks, I have been on a series about what is truth. And we recognize that truth is in crisis in our culture today, and we have been basing everything on a theme of Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And tonight, as we get to this Christmas Eve service, the theme of this few minutes that we have together is Christmas. Is it true? Christmas, is it true? I actually am going to be beginning a message tonight that I hope that you'll come back on Sunday morning so that you can hear the rest of it. I don't have time to get all the way through it tonight, but I do want to share some thoughts with you on this Christmas Eve. I do want to acknowledge Andy Stanley and his team for helping provide some of the research that went into this. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, there's the declaration of an angel that begins to speak, and the angel says this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I recognize tonight that for many people there is a resistance to Christianity and a resistance to the truth of Christmas, and it revolves around the question that so many people struggle with. Is it true? And maybe this is you. Maybe you don't believe the story of Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't believe the story of Christmas, but somebody invited you or you're a part of the family and so you're here and you're kind of putting in the time and there are some deep questions that are going on in your heart. And if you have those doubts, it's because you have reason to. There have been some things that you have thought of that have made it difficult for you to believe that. So for a lot of people tonight, they are dealing with this question, Christmas, is it true? And the it part of Christmas, the things that make it determining whether or not you believe and you dive in or whether you hesitate and you look on from the outside are different for different people. Because the question that you have to deal with when you're dealing with is it true means that there is something that you have determined that you have to embrace in order for Christmas to be real to you or in order, in order for you to be a Christian. And for people, some people, it's the Bible, and we have talked about this in, in some of the past weeks, that for them, they're saying, I just can't believe the Bible. And so the it for them, unfortunately, is the Bible. But there were thousands of Christians before the Bible. The Bible did not create Christianity. It was the other way around. And so if it's not the Bible issue you're dealing with, then there may be other issues that you're fighting with and just wrestling through. And I want you to know if that's you tonight, whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting here, you're not the first person to have to ask the questions of, is it true? In fact, when you hear news that is not good news, don't you hope that it's not true? When you hear something, the first thing that comes to your mind when it's not good news is, man, I hope that what you said or I hope that what I heard is not true. For instance, if you go home tonight and the weatherman says that Syracuse can expect 200 inches of snow between now and Mother's Day, we who live here go, I hope that is not true. But the opposite is true as well. When you hear good news, don't you hope that it's true? Isn't there something within you that before you even have a chance to, to register and work through it, you hope that it is true? true? 
For instance, I want to put something up for you. Eating Christmas cookies extends life expectancy. Now, you look at this, and the first thing that comes to your mind is, this is the best news ever. This changes the way that I'm going to be eating tonight and tomorrow and all the way through the new year. I mean, this is what we hope for. We hear good news and we hope that it's true. Now, I have to admit to you that I made this up. However, is that not the best clickbait ever? If you were watching this on a computer, wouldn't you click on this just hoping that there would be some scientific proof that makes this true? It might not necessarily be true, but you hope it's true because it's good news. And my point is this, when you hear something that is good, you hope that it is true. You lean into it because it's human nature. And so when the announcement of Jesus' birth was first announced and first described on day one, it was described as good news of great joy. But that wasn't the end of it because here came the surprise. Here's the part that surprised people that people hadn't thought of or, or because they didn't think it was possible because at that time the world was too divided especially in Judea and Galilee and in that particular part of the world. But the angel announced that it was going to be good news of great joy and then added this kicker. For all people. For all people. The message of Jesus, and they didn't even know what the message was yet, was good news that would spark great joy and that nobody would be left out. It was so good that people leaned in to find out what it was all about. So tonight I ask you the question that if this is good news, then why the resistance? The question is, is this good news and was it good news? And if so, why do people resist this news? As I said earlier, when you hear something that is good, you lean into it and you hope that it is true. And so when Jesus was born, people leaned in. They hoped that everything that was being said was true. And one of the things that for me breaks my heart the most about this particular generation is that there are so many people that are leaning away from the message of Christmas, that are leaning away from the message of Christianity because somehow they've come to the conclusion that it is not good news for them. And in many cases, it's not their fault. In many cases, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, I've heard this story before, but I've never realized that it could be for me because at some point along the path of your life, you ran into somebody that claimed to be a Christian or you, you bumped into somebody or you did business with somebody or you were approached by somebody on the street that proclaimed to be something or maybe, maybe you were raised by people who carried a version of the faith or a version of Christianity or a version of the message of Jesus that you determined somewhere along the line by the way it was presented or the way they lived or the way they spoke or the way they cared or not cared that you said, if this is what the good news is, then it's not good news. And I don't even care if it's true. But you should know, 
And you have to decide this for yourself. The original news, the initial news was so good that it was compelling. In fact, Luke, who begins to tell this story, records for us the message of the life of Jesus. And he starts by telling us in Luke 16, 16, that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now, let me just add a little context to this. In the first century, the Old Testament was not called the Old Testament because it wasn't old anything. It was the Hebrew Bible. It was the Jewish text. It was called the law and the prophets. And Jesus said that this is what people read and this is what they believed in until John, speaking of John the Baptist, came. But the law and the prophets were not good news for all people. The law and the prophets or the Old Testament was good news for the ancient Hebrews, but it was not good news for everybody. In fact, they had just come out of slavery and they needed a moral and judicial and ceremonial law to live by. So the law and the prophets was great news for the Hebrew people, but it was not good news for all people in the entire world. So with the coming of Jesus, there is an amazing transition that takes place. And it tells us that John the Baptist began to come and speak about something new that God was about to do. Something new and then Jesus steps into the pages of history as a man, as a grown-up. And things changed. The scripture goes on to say, since that time... And that's the time that Jesus stepped into the world. The good news of the kingdom of God was being preached. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what the kingdom of God was and how it was being preached. It was speaking of the values of the kingdom, preaching about what God was really like and how God truly loves people, how God views mankind and how he wants to be viewed by mankind. How God wants the human race to treat each other. And these brand new values, this brand new world system, the kingdom of God is being preached. And then look at this. Jesus says, look around. Everybody who is hearing this message and everybody who understands it is leaning into this. In fact, the scripture says, and everybody is forcing, leaning in, pushing in to what is going on because they did not want to miss out on the good news. And his point was this. When people understand, Jesus was saying, when people understand what I'm saying, when people understand what God is offering they are going to want it to be true. And they're going to want it to be real. And they are going to want to be involved in it. So if the life and the message and the teaching of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, perhaps it's because the version that you have created in your mind was not the original version. Because the original version was compelling. And the original version was worth telling. In the very first century, very few people had their, to their stories told. Very few people had their life documented. Most people couldn't read at the time, and if you were 
going to have somebody write something for you. It would be very, very expensive. And so the only way that you got your story told was to be rich and to hire a scribe that would then write your life story. Consequently, when they were done, they would let you edit it so that what came out was something that you approved and it would make you look really, really good. So only the famous and only the rich ever had their stories told. So the fact tonight that we have even one account of the life of Jesus is amazing because he was a nobody. He was a baby that was born in a barn in Galilee. And by the time he grew up, he was raised by family members that were day laborers. And when his story was written, he was already gone and there was nobody left that he could pay to write his story. And here we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that make this amazing statement at the beginning of the account when Luke starts, starts out his account in Luke 1.1 with this word, many. It's such a historically significant word that I do not want you to miss it. Many, he says. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many is many to you? Like, if you looked out in the parking lot, some of you would say, there are many cars out there. If you looked up in the sky, some of you say, there are many stars out there. Maybe on your street, there are many people that have Christmas lights. I don't know what it is. But depending on how you count, many probably means way more than four. And so when we have four accounts of the life of Jesus, Luke says, I need you to know that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things which have been fulfilled among us. Luke says, I'm about to give you an account of the life of Jesus, but you need to know I'm not the only one. And neither is John's, and neither is Mark's, and neither is Matthew's. There are many that do that. Now, I need to ask you a question. And I really don't want you to feel bad about this. It's just a question that's going to give you a little context in all of this. We live in modern times. Everybody can write a story. Some of our college students and high school students, you've just finished your finals. Some of you had to write a story. It's easy for us to sit down at a laptop and begin to type away, and you can write a story. Everybody could write a novel. In fact, if you don't like typing, there are even apps now that you can speak, and it just puts your words on the page as you're speaking it. So, do you know how many people will undertake to draw up an account of your life when you are gone? Being as easy as it is, I do. Not many. Not many. And this is where faith begins and a question that we must wrestle with on Christmas Eve. Why did so many want to write out this story? Why did so many people spend their own money and time and effort trying to document the life of a man who had come and gone and was a nobody from nowhere, who didn't write anything in his life, who was only in the public eye for three or four years and didn't travel very far? And the answer is this. In the first century in the land of Judea, something significant happened. And the reason it was documented is because so many people heard it was good and they wanted it to be true. And I don't know what your version of Christianity is, but the original version, it was good. It was so good that people were leaning into it before they were ever convinced that it was true. 
Luke goes on to say in the first chapter in the second verse, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke is saying that the account that I am about to give you is from eyewitnesses and servants. I'm not making this stuff up, he said. And with this in mind, he gets to verse 3. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. In other words, I'm going to do an in-depth investigation from eyewitnesses that were there and saw it that will testify to the validity of the beginning of Jesus' life. And then Luke said, listen, while I'm doing this for you, Theophilus, I'm also doing this for me because I want to know if it's true. And he said, so I too, like many others, am writing an account in an orderly way. Now, we don't know for sure who Theophilus was, but we believe that he was a wealthy, curious Christian that had heard of the teachings of Jesus and had become a follower of Jesus. And so he was all in and he wanted to understand the story from the beginning. So he hires Luke, who is a physician, who obviously is a great researcher, a detail person. And he asks him to put in order an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And Luke says in verse 4, I'm doing this so that you may know the certainty. If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline that word in your Bible. The certainty of the things you've been taught. In other words, he said, I want you to know that what I'm writing is true. And little did Luke know that the account that he was writing for a single individual would be one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus that would survive antiquity. Why? Is this story worth telling? The story is worth telling because Luke said, I'm going to make sure that what you hear is true. And the story is worth telling because it is good. And the angels were the first to announce that it was good. But it wasn't until Jesus stepped out of the Jordan River after his water baptism as a grown man that the message became good and the people began to know Jesus this is when the people begin to experience the, the, the power of the life of Jesus. So what makes this story so good? First of all, forgiveness was introduced. Not just introduced, but the forgiveness of sin was announced ahead of time. And so Jesus told people, that they could ask God for forgiveness and that he would respond to that. And they would know ahead of time what's going on in their life and what was going to happen. And so as he's telling people about this forgiveness, they begin to realize that in this good news, that meant that there was no more animal sacrifices, that they didn't have to work for it. That was not only good news, that was brand new news. But it began to disturb those of the religious leaders who recognized that if this is true, it made the temple system antiquated. In fact, Luke tells us a story of how forgiveness was applied in a wealthy person's home in an interesting story in the fifth chapter. 
He said Jesus was teaching and crowds surrounded him. By the way, I want you to recognize as you're reading your Bible, note how many times that Jesus was in public places surrounded by crowds. People wanted to be near him and the crowds were following because of what he said. In this one particular day, Jesus is standing in the home of a wealthy man and as he is teaching, there's people in the living room, in the kitchen, in the family room. All the rooms of the house were full. People were standing outside the windows, listening in. In fact, the Bible tells us that they couldn't hear good enough there. So some of them went up on the roof. And as Jesus is teaching, there's this curious noise that takes place above them as somebody begins to dig out the roof of this wealthy man's house. I'm certain at this point the guy's thinking, great, I knew I shouldn't have invited Jesus to teach at my house. And in the middle of that, stuff begins to fall, and suddenly a hole opens up, and Jesus stops, and he looks up, and suddenly the hole is filled, and a man is being lowered down right in front of Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that had been shadowing Jesus because they wanted to hear what this strange rabbi had to say, thought, well, this is about to get interesting. Because he was teaching things that were in conflict with what they had taught. Brand new things he was saying. And Jesus, when the man finally hits the floor, looks down at this man. And in verse 20 of chapter 5, Jesus addresses him and starts out by calling him friend. Can I just tell you tonight how wonderful it is to be a friend of God? To have Jesus call you friend. And he looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. To which you have to imagine the guy that's been paralyzed and is laying on this mat, laying in front of him on the floor, looks up and he goes, that's not really why I'm here. You'll also notice that he didn't even ask. And the religious leaders, when they hear Jesus say to him that your sins are forgiven, they go crazy. They're going, you can't do that. You can't forgive sin because only God has the power to forgive sin, to which Jesus said, that's true. But who can heal a paralyzed man other than God? And then Jesus says to the Pharisees, and he says to the crowd, and he says to you and to me in verse 24, so that you may know, Jesus is saying, I want you to have a knowledge of the truth of this. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And when he did that, the people were in awe. Absolutely astounded. Because this was good news. This was new news. And this is good news for you. And this is good news for me because we've all sinned. And we all need a Savior in Jesus Christ. We all need the forgiveness that God offers. We all need his intervention. And Jesus claimed the ability to forgive sin and to make you right with God. And tonight I want to tell you, that's good news for all people. And then it got better. You're going, well, how much better can the news get? Oh, just listen. According to Jesus, anybody, regardless of your starting point, regardless of what you know, regardless of where you are and what you've done, anybody, anybody can believe in Jesus and anybody can follow him from right where they're at. In fact, Luke goes on to tell another story to illustrate this. 
He says, one day when Jesus was early in the process of creating a group of disciples, they were beginning to walk along the road. And in many of these cities, the tax collectors would sit up much like a toll booth that we would be familiar with. And if you wanted to get by, you had to pay your tax, had to pay the toll. And he gets there and he comes and he meets this guy by the name of Levi. And Levi is a tax collector. Now, if you know anything about the scriptures or the Bible, you'll know that in many cases, it talks about sinners and tax collectors. They were so bad, they had their own category. And so Levi is sitting there taking taxes from people. Jesus approaches him. He didn't have any friends except other tax collectors. In fact, if you were a tax collector, you were ceremonial unclean. You couldn't get anywhere near the temple. Everybody that was a tax collector knew they better live it up in this life because if there was another life, it was not going to be good for them. And that's Levi. And Jesus walks up to Levi. And in verse 27, he addresses him and he says this, follow me. I have to imagine that Levi's reaction was, listen, no rabbi has ever even talked to me let alone ask them to follow, ask for me to follow them. And, and I have to imagine he's thinking to himself, listen, Rabbi, Jesus, don't know if you know this or not, but I am like the sermon illustration of the worst of the worst. In fact, when the rabbis talk about me in the temple, they're telling everybody, don't let your children grow up to be tax collectors like Levi. He says, you know what? You're asking me to follow you, and, and it's not even like you saw me in town and didn't know what I was doing. And came up to me and said, hey, would you follow me? You caught me doing what I do while I'm doing it. I'm living in the guilt of it right this very moment. And Jesus looks at him and said, Levi, follow me. Because he was saying, it doesn't matter what you are or who you are or what you do. You can start right where you are and follow me. And the real surprise of this story is not that Jesus asked. The real surprise of the story is that Levi, after thinking about it for a minute, said, really? Okay. I'm going to follow you. And then he says, where are we going? And Jesus says, to your house. And the other disciples, you have to imagine at that point, are going, oh, no. No, 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 this can't be true. And by the evening, they're at Levi's house, and the scripture says, with other tax collectors, and the religious leaders are across the street picketing. And they're out there, and they're saying, you who say that you are sent from God, this isn't how God operates. And Jesus sent a message out to them. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this, my friends, is good news for all of us because we all know we're not that good. It doesn't matter how we dress. doesn't matter how we act. We all know we're just not that good. And he knew that people could not change themselves. And we know we can't change ourselves because we have tried and we have failed. And this is the invitation of the Savior. This is why people leaned in. This is why it was such good news. And I'm going to ask the worship team to please come. Because it doesn't matter where you are or what you've come from or what you're doing. Jesus says you can start right where you're at. And you can follow me. So is Christmas true? Luke told us that he made every effort to make sure that his count 
was accurate and true. But the better question tonight for you is this. Are you going to lean into it? Or are you going to let another version of the good news dissuade you from entering in to what Jesus Christ wants to do in your life? Because tonight I'm here to tell you that the angel who had nothing to gain by this announcement said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And if you want to hear the rest of the story, I'll see you at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 says this. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Tonight, this is good news. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me, please, and that you would take your candles. And I'm going to ask that you would flip them on from the bottom. As we come to the conclusion of this Christmas Eve service, before we sing our final song, maybe you're here tonight and while the lights are low and nobody is looking around, you feel that the Lord is just knocking on the door of your heart and maybe you've been one of those that's saying, I don't know if the Christmas story is true, I don't know if Christianity is true, but there's something compelling about a God that will meet me where I am at and will forgive me of my sin and will join me walking in this life. And I'm going to ask that you would just bow your heads for one second with me, please, as I pray for you. Our Father and our God, I pray that the word that we brought forth tonight, the, the message of the angel of good news, of great joy for all people would be alive and well in our heart tonight. And if there are any here tonight, Lord, that have made a decision that Christianity is not good news for whatever version they may have seen, may they be reminded tonight of the original version of a God that forgives and a God that says you can start right where you're at. We don't have to make ourselves good for you because you change us. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing, your grace, and your mercy be extended to everybody that at this very moment simply says, Jesus, will you come into my life so that this Christmas can be different because it's true and it's good and I'm leaning into your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you would lift your lights high as we sing this hymn together.
Hallelujah. Father, as the lights shine across this room, may your love and grace and mercy shine in our lives and through us to others. Father, we pray that as we celebrate this marvelous day of the birthday of our Savior and King, that we would all walk from this place saying, this is good news that brings my heart great joy and I qualify for your mercy and your grace. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Merry Christmas.